the power of the purse. I recently read once of a comedian who said, money talks, but the only thing that it says to me is goodbye. You know, some of you may feel that way. I feel that, yeah, money talks, but the only thing that it says is goodbye. For some, that may be true, but today in this passage, it's not saying that. Money's not saying uh, goodbye. As a matter of fact, James is once again addressing the topic of wealth and money. In the previous verses, if you looked in the end of uh, James chapter 4, you would find that James addresses three attitudes. And he's addressing three attitudes towards planning. And how these business people were planning, the, uh, uh, they were planning their lives without God and around making money. And James now denounces the rich here and, and their riches because they were using their wealth for selfish purposes and were depriving the poor in the process. But I hope that you were paying attention as we were reading and we just weren't going through the motions. Because maybe you were like me when I first read this passage or, or if we were to reread it again, there were two initial reactions that I had. Maybe you had the same one. My first initial reaction was, this isn't talking to me. Why is that? Because I'm not rich. So this passage isn't talking to me. Because I'm not, that was one of my first initial reactions. Because I'm not rich, though I live in a nice home. Though I have two cars in which I can drive. Though I have a closet filled with clothes. Though I get paid nicely by the church. Though I get to go out to eat from time to time. Though I have the opportunity to be able to go on vacation. Though I have some investments and some savings. You know, maybe I am rich. At least according to the majority of the rest of the world. The second reaction that I had that you might have is that James pulls no punches here. He's in your face. His words are very offensive, to be honest with you. And he's really not too concerned about being an encouraging pastor. He's just laying it out there, and he's saying, take it or leave it. But you better take it because it's true. That's basically his attitude. James is very passionate about what he's writing to us here. But I also want you to see, not only is he passionate about that, but in this portion of Scripture, in James chapter 5, I also need you to see that there are two major themes running through this that James is writing about. The first is problems, and the second is prayer. And these two are closely linked together by understanding that the person who has problems should go to God in prayer. A mature Christian, listen, a mature Christian is one who prays in a time of trouble. They don't give up. They don't give in. 
They don't trust in their own experience. They don't trust in their own skill. They don't trust in the arm of the flesh, but they go to God. And see, these people that were rich were causing problems for other people. And in these first six verses, we find, as I just mentioned, that there are some people or some laborers who are having a great deal of problems, and then they call out to God in prayer. Well, what was the reason? My first question is, well, what, the, what was the reason for their problems? These rich people had employees. They had hired these employees, and then they refused to pay them what they owed them. This was, and it still is, a real problem. You say, well, I don't have any employees. I'm the employee. Well, we'll get to how this can apply to your life. Yeah, but I've got a boss who, hold on. We're really quick to point the finger. So what is James trying to teach us? What's the overarching theme that James is trying to teach us here? I would put it to you this way so that that way we can all apply it to our lives. We are to use our means or our wealth, our money, whatever terminology you want to put in there, our means, our, worth, our wealth, our money, to be able to help others and not to hurt others. So we are to use the material possessions, the wealth and the money that God has given to us to help others and not to hurt others. I want to be quick to say that the Bible never says that it's wrong to be rich. There were many in the Word of God that were wealthy. The issue is how one gains wealth and how one uses wealth. See, there's no denying the fact, and I believe every serious Christian would agree with me, there's no denying the fact that God is the ultimate source of all that we have, but God also gives each and every one of us the ability to gain wealth and material possessions. Without uh, God giving us that ability, we could not do that, but he does give us that ability. And just as God gives us the ability to gain wealth and material possessions, we are not to do so, we're not to gain our wealth in immoral or unjust ways. And that's also true in how one uses wealth. I want you to see what James says. Go to verse 1. He says, Go to now, ye rich men, howl and weep. He's saying, Mourn. He's saying, cry out. He's saying the whole idea is almost as if your heart was broken. It's almost an uncontrollable crying. Why would he say that? Because of the way that they are gaining and using their wealth. There are three admonitions. There are three reasons. There are three truths for why James made that statement. Go to now, ye rich men, how or weep and how. What's the first one? Number one, why did James say, state this? Because God is concerned about how we gain wealth. 
God is concerned about how we gain wealth. Verse 4, behold, the hire of the labor who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 6, ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. I also want to be quick to say that God does not condemn wealth, but God does not also condemn private ownership or profit from that ownership. The Bible doesn't condemn you having a business and then making profit off that. That's not what he's saying. But what the Bible is saying is that you can help or hurt people by the way that you gain wealth. And James reveals that these rich people were gaining their wealth by immoral ways. First, I want you to take a look at how they were gaining their wealth. James says, letter A, don't hold back payment. Don't hold back payment. These business people had hired some individuals to do a job, and instead of paying these people, they defrauded them of their pay. Now, first century Palestine, A.D. 70, or before A.D. 70, witnessed an increase of concentration of land in the hands of really a small group of people, of very wealthy people, of very wealthy landowners. And as a result, the smaller farmers had to end up selling their land and then be hired out to these larger corporations. It's like this. I'll put it in 21st century. And I have nothing against this company, but I just, and I'm not trying to malign this company. But remember all the five and dime shops? Remember all the mom and pop candy shops and you could go in the drug stores and stuff like that? And then Walmart showed up. And I'm not saying Walmart's wrong. I'm not, I don't disparage Walmart and that kind of thing. But I, I, I remember when Walmart moved into uh, Urbana, Ohio, and we, had the, they st we still had this mom and pop five and dime candy shop, and it was packed full of stuff. And all the people of the town were talking, we don't want Walmart to come in because it's going to close down, you know, the other little shop there. Well, why? Because they can't compete with the prices of Walmart because Walmart buys it in probably millions and billions of, of you know, uh, matchbox cars. And Joe Schmo on the corner there, he buys 50 of them. And they can't compete. And the same thing was happening here. And, and what happened would be the larger landowners would take over and then the farmers would have to hire themselves out. They were forced to earn a living that way. Now they didn't have any more ownership. And if you would want to take a look at the background of this, you could turn to Matthew, but we won't turn there. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. Jesus' power about the workers in the vineyard is a good place for us to be able to get understanding how, how significant it was that these workers expected their pay at the end of the day. It wasn't like us where we get paid at the end of the week or uh, every two weeks. Uh, here at the church, we get paid once a month. And uh, so we're expecting on the 15th uh, here at the church, that's when we get paid. So, okay. And you may get paid at the end of every, every two weeks or a week. But these laborers here, they were expecting to get paid at the end of the day. I want you to turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Because the Bible commanded in the law not to oppress the hired servant. We're going to get to some practical application here. But I want you to understand this. I want you to get some background here. Take a look at um, Deuteronomy chapter 24. 
4. God is concerned about how we gain wealth, and he says first in this passage of Scripture, don't hold back payment. Verse 14 and 15. Deuteronomy 24, thou shalt not oppress a hired servant that is poor and needy, whether thou be of thy brethren or of thy strangers that are in the land within thy gates. At his day thou shalt give him his hire. Neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor, and set his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be a sin unto thee. Jeremiah, you might want to write this down, Jeremiah chapter 22 and verse 13, the Bible says, Woe unto him that built his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by wrong, that uses his neighbor's service without wages and giveth him not for his work. Colossians 4.1, the Bible states this, and I, and I read, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. These business people had hired people out, promised them a certain wage. But it says in the scriptures here, they kept back by fraud, which literally means that they stole the payment from them. And the intention from the Greek, if you get into that, and we're not going to give you the recipe for the, you don't want to know about the recipe, you just want the meal, okay? But I'll just let you know this that the implication is that they stole the money from those laborers, their wages, and that they would never receive their salary. So it wasn't that they were just, hey, uh, you know, I, I'm a little bit short this week, which is still wrong. No, it was that they never received it. And if we get right down to it, you know what that's called? Stealing. That's as simple as it gets. God says, thou shalt not steal. And God says what he means. You say, well, okay, pastor, I appreciate all that, but how can I apply this to my life? Okay, first thing. Maybe you have been defrauded by a boss who owes you money. I know when I was in the business world and uh, I was working for uh, a, a, an individual, and when I was in the business world, I had earned a certain amount in a bonus, and it was a very large amount. I had worked very hard for it, and uh, I deserved that. My immediate boss, who many of you know, Joe Gaddis, went to the owner of the company. And he talked to the owner of the company and said, George has earned this. You need to be able to give this to him. And we're not talking a couple hundred dollars. We're talking thousands of dollars. The boss said, no, I'm not giving it to him. You said, what did you do? I got up on Monday and I went back to work. You didn't take him to court? You didn't? No. Many times when I saw him, I would, I would call the man out by name and I would say, I just want to thank you for starting this company and I want to thank you for giving me a job. Amen. See, the Bible says here, right here, and doth not resist you at the end of the verse. So what did you do? I just took it to the Lord. Say, Lord, you know, you know that I worked hard for this, you know that I deserve this, and if you want to give it to me, you'll give it to me. If not, that's okay because you're in, you're in control. 
So maybe you've been like that, and, and maybe there's been some bitterness to set in. Now, you can, let, you can either get better from that, or you can get bitter from that, but guess what? The choice is yours. That's the first way. You say, well, that's never happened to me. Well, how does this passage apply to me? Well, how about this? Think about it. It, it could even be more applicable about holding back payment. Though you're not a landowner, necessarily, probably most of us are not, what about your bills? You say, what do you mean? I mean, you, you've, you've told a specific vendor that you would pay your bills and that you would pay them on time. Or how about this? What about your credit cards? Now, pastor, now, now you're starting to... <laughs> Ooh. We say, well, I, I... I want to say something, but I, I don't know if I should say it or not. What about your credit cards? You've ran them up so high that you can't pay them now. And you're thinking about declaring bankruptcy. Bankruptcy is legalized stealing. Now that I've just cut our attendance in half. <laughs> you say, well, what should I do? Well, if you've already declared bank, if you've already gone through that process, and I know that people have. I don't know anybody in here specifically that has. I can't say that. So I'm not trying to pick on anybody. The only thing that you can do is make it right with the Lord and, and make sure you don't get back in that position again. That's all that you can do. What else are you going to do? But if you're on the verge of something like that, you need to go get some good Christian counsel and get on the right track. You say, Pastor, what would that mean? That may mean selling your home, selling your cars. That may mean doing a whole bunch of things. But folks, you promise to pay those people. Those credit card companies have people that they have to pay. It's really uncomfortable in here this morning. Am I not telling the truth? Okay. It's a terrible testimony. Listen, when I hear about Christians not paying their bills to other Christians or unsaved folks. You know, I've actually had other Christians come up to me and say, I don't want to do business with Christians. Why? Because they don't pay their bills. That's horrible. That's defrauding. As believers, we're to be faithful to pay our bills, to pay them on time. And see, when we don't pay our bills or our credit cards or whatever the case may be, you're no better than the landowner who stole the money from those who said he would pay them.
You say, Pastor, I need help in that area. How can you help me? I'll tell you this. Dave Ramsey, wonderful help. Be a huge help. We've done his seminars here, uh, his financial seminars, and he can be able to help you. And he'll do it from a godly perspective. Now, it's not easy, and, and you're going to have to swallow hard on some things, but I, don't want, I just don't want to drop the bomb on you and then not give you any help or hope. But I'm telling you, you go to this financial freedom seminar or something like that, and you go through, work through that, you and your, your spouse, I'm telling you, you can go from being broke to be able to be a blessing with your finances. That's something we'll be able to help you. So the first thing, God's concerned about how we gain our wealth. Don't hold back payment. Then he says, number two, or letter B, don't pervert judgment. Don't pervert righteous judgment. Take a look, letter B there. Don't pervert righteous judgment. The word condemn in the verse, first part of verse six, take a look at that if you would, please. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. That word condemn is a judicial term. It has to do with the courts of law. And what was happening here, let me give you a little bit of background, was that the rich were using their wealth to pervert judgment in the courts in order to gain more wealth. The courts in James' day were really very easily influenced, almost not, not too much unlike today. If you had money, you could influence the courts. And the poor workers could not afford expensive, the expensive lawyers that the landowners could, and so they were defeated every time, and there was no justice for those who were poor and oppressed. I want you to turn over to Proverbs chapter 10, if you would, please, because the Bible warns about gaining wealth through illegal means. You say, well, how are we to gain wealth? Listen, not playing the lottery. Now, look, if you play the lottery and win, make sure you tithe off of it. I'm telling you. I'm not giving you, I'm not giving you justice to play the lottery or freedom to play the lottery. But if you just fall into that temptation, you say, well, pastor, you would take that money? I'm like, yes, I would. Every bit of it. You say, why is that? I figure the devil's had it long enough. We can use it for the glory of God. <laughs> so, yeah, buddy, that's what I'm talking about. But... We're not going to do it that way. We're not going to do it by other illegal means, by, um, you know, by putting different numbers on your tax forms. How many kids do you got? 82. <laughs> I'll take that deduction right there. Thank you. You know, you, know, you know what I'm saying. We can just fudge a little bit here. How much did you give to the church when you gave $100 the past year? Oh, I gave 2000 Mm-hmm. I hope they come to me. I'll open up the books and I'll show them. That person right there, they gave $15. Go after them. <laughs> I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter four, uh, 10. You say, how are we supposed to gain wealth? I'll tell you this, this. This is how we're supposed to gain wealth. Work hard and leave the results to God. That's how you're to gain wealth. Work hard. Work hard and leave the results to God. Now, there are some people, man, they can fall into a mud puddle and they'll come up holding gold bricks. But God's given them that ability. There's nothing wrong with that. But we're to work hard and leave the results to God. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 10. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. He becometh poor that is lazy, basically is what he's saying. But the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Can I tell you something else this morning? 
that a believer who seeks spiritual growth cannot be caught up in the accumulation of wealth for themselves. A believer who seeks spiritual growth cannot be caught up in the accumulation of wealth for himself. Instead, the accumulation of wealth is to be used for the glory of God and the good of others. I also want you to see that these people, these rich people were so blinded by wealth that they even condemned innocent people to death. It says that they killed the just. They killed the righteous man. It says that the righteous man doth not resist. These people in many respects were heartless. But look at how the scriptures so vividly picture the precious Lord Jesus Christ. I can't help to think when James was writing this that he didn't think back on his half-brother when he penned these words. It almost seems impossible when you think about in verse 6. Take a look if you would there. You have condemned and killed the just and he doth not resist you. You can say it this way. You have condemned and, and killed the righteous one. It almost seems impossible when we read the words that, that about killing a just man and one that would not have resisted that we cannot read these words without thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is preeminently the righteous one. Was it not Judas who sold the precious Lord Jesus for money? Is it not stated of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that he was led as a sheep to the slaughter without resisting? Is it not stated in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 23 that Jesus, the God-man, when reviled, reviled not again. When suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Is not verse 6 a picture of the gospel wrapped up for us to be able to see this is exactly what happened to Jesus they condemned a righteous man. They killed a just man. And when he was led to the slaughter, he was led as a sheep, not saying anything. And he willingly died for you and for me. Amen. You say, what's James exposing? He's exposing the lordship of money in the lives of these people instead of the lordship of God in the lives of these people. Let me tell you something, friend. Again, God's not against the rich. He's not. But let me tell you something. For us as believers, we're to put God first in our lives. And he will ensure that we have all that we need. The power of the purse is revealed in how we gain our wealth. But secondly, God is not only concerned about how we gain our wealth, God is concerned with how we use our wealth. Take a look, number two. God is concerned about how we use our wealth. James chapter five and verse three. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rest of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last day, verse five. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Again, I want to emphasize that God's not against wealth. He's not against ownership. He's not against profit. But how we gain and use that wealth is what God is concerned with. And James is, is going to reveal here in verse 3 how the, the wealthy, the rich, use their wealth. Letter A, here you go. They hoarded it up. They hoarded it up. It's amazing. It's, it's really funny to think, have you ever watched that show, Hoarders? How many of you ever watched that show, Hoarders? Raise your hand. 
Good. How many have never watched that show, Hoarders? Raise your hand. You should watch it. You ought to. You say, why'd you do that? Why'd you do both? Well, because I want to make sure everybody's still awake with me and still, tra <laughs> still tracking with me, all right? What's very interesting is the ones that I've seen, I, I could be wrong on this, but every single one that I've seen, those hoarders are all poor people. At least they look that way, okay? And they have dirty environments. I have never seen somebody on hoarders living in the lap of luxury. They don't put those people on there. Oh, we talk about million dollar homes and billion dollar homes and, and all this kind of stuff and, and ultimate homes and epic cars and all this kind of stuff. They're the shows that we all like to watch and we look at them and you're like, man, look at the, the, you know, the, 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 the uh, largest log cabins and all this kind of stuff. And we were, me and my wife were watching this show a couple days ago and it was with these log cabins and some $7.2 million and had to build a road to be able to get up there. Nobody would say that those people were hoarders because that's living in the lap of luxury. That's that's the American dream. That's what we all want. But can I tell you this morning that they are just as much hoarders as the people that are on the show called hoarders. There's nothing wrong with saving either. I knew this was going to be a rough message. And the Bible doesn't say that we shouldn't save. a matter of fact, it says that we should save and take care of our family. It does tell us that in 1 Timothy 5.8. But if any provide for his not, not his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. But it is wrong to hoard money. And these rich men, these rich people, these wealthy people were using, were hoarding their money and were using that money for their own benefit when they had stolen from those to whom they owed money. You say, okay, well, I don't do that. Here you go, let me bring it down to, to our terms here. I might not have a, a pastorate by tomorrow morning, but that's okay, I'm gonna preach the truth. Here you go. They were laying up treasures on earth and not in heaven. They were living as if they were rich because they had great possessions. But they were not laying up treasures in heaven and in all reality were really poor. Let me ask you a couple questions. Here you go. Why does God give us wealth? I don't want you to answer. I want you to think about this. You say, well, I'm not wealthy, I'm not rich. Compared to most of the world, you are filthy rich, okay? So let's get it off the table. We are all rich in here. I don't care if you're the poorest person in here, we are all rich in here. You have no idea, okay? So we're all rich. So then my question is, why does God give us wealth? Let me ask you something. Does a $100,000 home keep you safe from the elements just as much as a $5 million home? Yep. 
So why does God give us wealth? Does a Honda Civic get you to where you need to go just like a... And I'm not against any of this stuff. I just want you to think. Just like a Mercedes. And if you got a Mercedes, God bless you. I don't have a problem with you having a Mercedes. You ought to buy an orange one for your pastor. <laughs> you drive an orange Mercedes? I'll drive anything orange. I love orange. <laughs> so I'm not against you having a Mercedes. I, I want you to think. But can a Honda Civic get you to where you need to go just like a Mercedes can get you where you need to go? Mm -hmm. And by the way, if you bought me an orange Mercedes, I'd sell it and use it for the parking lot. <laughs> Probably wouldn't get much for an orange Mercedes though. You'd be like, you gotta be kidding me. So then why does God give us wealth? The next question is, what's the purpose for the wealth that we have? Not only does why, why does God give it to us, but then what's the purpose for it? Is the purpose for wealth for me to get more stuff? Then, I think the next question is, now we've asked why and what, how about how should the wealth that we acquire be invested? Does God give us wealth so that we can get more wealth? So that we can have more. By the way, how much is enough? How much is enough? If anybody knows where I can get a job tomorrow morning, please let me know. <laughs> You say, well, pastor, I, I want to gain wealth in order to feel safe and secure. That's the reason, because I need safety and security. Well, if our wealth, if it's our wealth that makes us feel safe and secure, then where is God in all of this? God gives wealth for one reason and one reason only. Here you go. So you can bless the work of God and be a blessing to others. God gives wealth so that we can bless the people of God. God gives wealth so that we can help spread the gospel of God. I got another question for you. I'm just filled with questions this morning. Why would you spend all your irreplaceable time? You know, time is something that you can't get back, right? So why would you and I spend all our irreplaceable time pursuing something that will not last? If that is not insanity, I don't know what is. The Bible says that gold and silver are going to rust. That's what it says there. I want you to think about that for a minute. Gold and silver... They can't rust. It's an impossibility for gold and silver to rust. The Bible says that gold and silver will rust. 
You say, well, wait a second, then there's, did the Bible mess up? Did God mess up? No, James is using a paradox. Because he knows that gold and silver cannot rust, and he's using it so when you start to take that literally, it has a greater impact on your life. And he's using this paradox to be able to press home the issue, and he's saying that your gold and your silver will rust. He, he's trying to paint the most devastating picture that he can, and he says, not only will the gold and silver eat up your rust, uh, uh, not only will the rust eat up your gold and silver because you're hoarding it up, but it's also going to eat up the individual. See, instead of laying up treasures in heaven, they heaped up treasures for the last day, the day of judgment. They hoarded up their wealth. But secondly, here you go. And I think we'll close with this. Not only did they hoard it up, they lived it up. God is concerned about how we use our wealth. They hoarded it up, they lived it up. How many of you know the name Floyd Money Mayweather? Yeah. Floyd Money Mayweather. That guy has no problem flashing his wealth. Now, I, I assume that he's not a believer. I don't know that for a fact. I, I, don't, I have no idea. I don't know his testimony. I don't, I don't know. The, I'm just going to use him as an example. And so for the unsaved, their lifestyle is different than the saved. But this is the point about living it up. Floyd Money Mayweather has a fleet of cars that you could not believe. If there is one person that has money and isn't afraid to show it, you guessed it, it's Floyd Money Mayweather. The delight of motorheads everywhere, his extravagant collection of wealth starts off with a multiple, multiple of Bugattis, Bugatti masterpieces, masterpieces. He's got Ferrari Enzos. That's in his first garage. His first garage is estimated, his first garage is estimated with the cars in it at $9 million. However, that's not where the collection stops. Floyd also has a slew of limos and Rolls Royces that put almost everyone else's collection to shame. From Ferraris to Lamborghinis and other exotics, Floyd's representatives say that Floyd wants to keep people guessing on what he's going to roll up into next. This guy, he, he knows how to live it up. But see, these people here, they were living it up. James 5.5, James 5, you could state it this way. They lived in high style on the earth. Let me tell you something. Luxury is a waste, and waste is sin. These people loved and lived for pleasure. They gave their heart to whatever they wanted. You say, wait, whoa, whoa, all right, stop the horses here, pastor. You have just gone too far. Okay, well, you might say, that's not me. I cannot afford whatever I want. That's not what James is talking about. That's not the point of James chapter 5 there. You say, well, what is it? He's trying to get at the heart of the matter. What's that? The point is that though you can't afford it, you still have a desire to have it. And if you had the money, you would get it. 
See, so we can have an attitude and a heart of living it up, even though I can't live like Floyd Money Mayweather. And, and most of the people that I know, I don't know of anybody that can live like Floyd Money Mayweather. But that's not the point. The point is, if you had the money, you say, well, I wouldn't buy cars with it. Well, there would probably be something else. See, the issue is the life of luxury can be a part of anybody's life. Because it's a heart issue. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15 says, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Listen, folks. Greed is not just a rich man's disease. And also, by living a life of luxury, or we would say a life of ease and comfort, it also reveals that they were living for the present. They only thought of today. They showed that they were selfish and unconcerned about others' needs. They had an uncaring and a self-indulgent lifestyle. I want to think about this just for a moment as we wrap it up, about this self-indulgence. Floyd Mayweather money, uh, Floyd money Mayweather may not... Let me say it this way. We may not be able to live like he does. And it seems as if he would not deprive himself of anything that money could buy. But though we can't live that kind of lifestyle, I want you to think about something. When was the last time you and I deprived ourselves of something for the cause of Christ? You say, what do you mean, preacher? When was the last time you and I, we said, instead of going out to eat, I'm going to give that money that I would use for dinner out to benevolence fund to be able to help out others in our church? How about instead of buying that brand new car, you and I, we deprived ourselves and said, instead of buying that new car, I'm going to buy a used car and take the money that I would have spent on that new car and give it to the church to help get the gospel out. What about saying instead of buying that bigger and better home, I'm going to get a more affordable home and take the rest of the money and give it to the building fund or missions of Open Bible Baptist Church. I'm not saying it's wrong to have nice things. Don't get me wrong. I like nice things just like the rest of us. But the point is that sometimes we decide as believers to live it up in our own uh, financial well-being instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to set this aside for the cause of Christ. I can guarantee you all of us in here, all of us in here, that when we get to heaven, we will not regret one dime that we ever gave to the work of the Lord. Not one. You say, Pastor, why are you preaching like this? Or are we on tough times? No, not at all. I just told you we're, we're doing well. I'm preaching like this because this is the next section in the Word of God, and I'm preaching like this because this is what the Bible says. You need it, and I need it. 
We need to hear this. Why? Because we get wrapped up in consumerism. We get wrapped up in the American dream. We get wrapped up for living to today. We get wrapped up without not thinking about the future. We get wrapped up in our lives and not caring about others. We get wrapped up in our little world and forget about getting the gospel out. We get wrapped up in all these things here and forget that this is not where our final destination is. This is not our final home. And we are to be investing in eternal things. But when was the last time you and I consciously deprived ourselves for the sake of the gospel? Listen, depriving oneself drips with the message of the gospel. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Jesus Christ left his heavenly home and deprived himself of communion with the Father on the cross. He deprived himself of all the accolades that heaven gives to him. And instead, he came to earth where he was despised and rejected of men, the Bible says. He came to earth to be whipped upon, to be spat upon, to be punched, to be kicked, to be maligned. He came to earth to have his character uh, 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 tried to be destroyed and for his reputation to try and be destroyed as they called him according to the word of God. Thou art a bastard. Instead of hearing the praises of God, instead of hearing the praises, if you will, I should say, of the angels, instead of, of enjoying all the glories of God, he deprived himself so that you and I could be able to have the riches of eternity. But when was the last time you and I, we decided to deprive ourselves so that somebody else could experience the riches of eternity? We sing all for the cause of Christ, but do we, really, do we really mean it? All for the cause of Christ. You say, Pastor, what are you, what are you asking us to do? I'm asking you to evaluate your life in light of eternity. Again, why will we spend all our irreplaceable time pursuing something that will not 